This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, this is Frida Liu. You're listening to Her Vantage, and this is where we speak to women of influence and leadership. Crystal Lim Lang is a leadership and talent development expert, writer, and educator, and has been recognized as a LinkedIn top voice. She also co-authored the bestseller Deep Human and writes for Channel News Asia as an expert contributor on human capital. She's also founder of Forest Wolf, a talent development consultancy that combines thought leadership and psychology with experience in large-scale systems change. I do want to talk about your book, but let's start on how you got started on this journey on talent development. Hi, Frida. Such a pleasure to be here. Well, it was very accidental, actually. So I spent the first 10 years of my career being an investment banker, and then I got really burned out. And during my mini, shall I say, quarter life or third life crisis, I started exploring personal growth. And I went for a retreat in Australia where I learned all these sort of personal growth tools and techniques and how to become more self-aware, how to self-regulate my emotions and so forth. And I got really interested in that whole space. So I pivoted from investment banking to personal growth. I started running these retreats. And this was like 13 years ago when mindfulness was like so out there. People would think that you join a cult if you said that you were practicing mindfulness, right? So it was a little bit too ahead of its time because people back then, 13 years ago, they really weren't into wellness. This whole wellness, you know, personal growth, talent development phase has only been really in the past, I think, five years in this part of the world. Yeah, so I ran those retreats for personal growth and it attracted a lot of CEOs, a lot of C-suite leaders. And that actually got me hired by the National University of Singapore. And the government wanted me to come back to Singapore. At that point of time, I was living in Australia. They wanted me to come back to Singapore to help our nation really put together some programs that would prepare our youth for the future of work. Yeah, and at that point of time, Singapore government was very worried about a wave of AI. This is in 2015 about, you know, jobs being displaced by digitalization and all of that industry 4.0. So I was really hired to solve this problem, which is like, if ChatGPT and AI can do so much, if robots are coming, then what do we need humans for in the workforce? And it means that we need to learn different things to develop our talent in different ways in which it's no longer the stuff that you and I learned when we went to school, you know, the, the sort of like logarithms and maths and trigonometry and all that kind of stuff. It's more to do with that deep, what we call deep human skills, like empathy, like being able to complex communicate that the machines and the robots were really find hard to do. Right. Then you were talking about how 13 years ago, right? As more so as Asians, we like to see everything under the carpet. Let's not <laughs> yes. talk about it, right? Uh, so I like the, your book title, Deep Human, as opposed to, I guess, shallow people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> shallow robots. <laughs> so, so especially as you mentioned chat GPT, right? And you mentioned a couple of things. And then what are these human social emotional scooper skills that we need to be ready about? Two of which I know is complex communication, adaptive resilience, right? So maybe these two I want to dissect a bit further, right? So okay. complex communication skills, what do you mean by that? How do we develop that? Okay, so simple communication, ChatGPT can do, right? So it's just kind of like disseminating information, giving out simple messages to people, 
we don't really need humans for that anymore. But what we need humans for is like when we have difficult conversations. So a difficult conversation is any conversation which is high stakes, which people normally feel a little anxious about. For example, asking your boss for a raise or trying to confront that toxic coworker that's been gossiping about you behind your back, you know, trying to give feedback to somebody from another department or peer that technically you have no influence over. Those sort of difficult conversations are actually the bread and butter of work. And the higher you go in your career, the less it is about the hard skills and the more it is about difficult conversations and influencing others. Right. And that's still a human element which chat GPT cannot solve, right? Oh, uh, well, yes, because you need to tailor your approach for every human. Like you don't give feedback to 10 different humans the same way. You actually will have to, you know, read your audience with that human sensing ability and kind of tailor your approach and be able to connect to them with empathy. Like when you say, you know, I get you, I get where you're coming from. I understand your frustrations. It's very different from chat GPT or, you know, a robot telling you like, I understand you, I get you. You know that they don't. <laughs> right. Okay. The other one is adaptive resilience. Now, what's that? Okay, so a lot of people think that resilience is simply just bouncing back when life deals you or challenge or knocks you down. But there's actually three elements to resilience, adaptive resilience. The first one is, of course, bouncing back from adversity and a challenge, getting back up again. The second one is actually adapting as in learning and growing after you've been knocked down. So if you make a mistake 100 times, every time you just get up and then repeat the same mistake, that's not really adaptive resilience. You're not adapting, right? You need to learn from those mistakes. And actually, when, whenever you get up, you get up, you're a different person because you're getting up with growth. And then the third element of adaptive resilience is actually your resilience for what? Your resilience, your adaptive resilience should be working towards a long-term goal a long-term conviction, something that you're passionate about, something that aligns with your values. Right. I get what you're saying, right? When you get up, a lot of times there is no growth. Although you bounce back, you get up, but the same things happen over and over again. Hello, you got to change. Now, around adaptive resilience though, what can schools and parents do? Because we always talk about the snowflake and the strawberry oh, yeah. generation. <laughs> this is very interesting concept that very a veteran professor was a veteran professor I was on a panel with told me about. And he talked about dangerous playgrounds. And he talked about the lack of resilience of today's children being because of the lack of dangerous playgrounds. You know, when we are young, we need space to experiment. We need space to kind of fall and learn from our own pains and sufferings and so forth. But the thing is that a lot of times parents, before the kids can actually, you know, hit the ground, we actually like airbag, we dive underneath them and we catch them and we're like, no, don't fall. No, before you fall, I'm going to let you not fall. Let me supplement with tuition. Let me do your homework for you. Let me let me do your school project. Let me do your arts and craft for you. You will not fail. And then the, the kids never kind of understand what it's like to fall. And really resilience is a muscle that you grow through falling and then getting up. And if you are never allowed to fall, that muscle atrophies. It never develops. 
during your childhood. And then what happens when you're grown up and you go into the working world, you're getting boom, 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 boom all the time by people who are not your parents, don't know you, don't have anything vested in your personal growth. And then people go into this trauma and shock, like, why is nobody like babying me and catching me? And like, why do I not have these muscles to understand how to process life's normal sadness, suffering without going into anxiety, burnout, depression, and all of that? So what can schools and parents do? They can create more spaces where students and children are not judged for failure. So it is like, you know, we're going to give you this project. And our idea of success in this project is how much did you step out of your comfort zone? How much did you challenge your own limiting beliefs? How much did you learn from this project? Whether you, you know, whatever, managed to construct a, whatever EE vehicle or whatever right. drone or whatever is beside the point. We're more interested in your learning and your bravery, your boldness, your ambition and your self-awareness. Because actually, one of the hardest things to teach a young person is actually self-awareness. They typically do not develop self-awareness until much later because self-awareness is something where you need a lot of accurate and constructive feedback coming from people. Right. I'm going to talk a little bit about the other many things that you do, one of which is the Psychological Safety Certified Facilitator. We'll discuss that in just a moment. I'm here with Crystal Lim Lang. Stay tuned to Her Vantage. Breakfast for Masters, BFM 89.9. Good morning, this is Frida Liu and you're listening to Her Vantage and this is where we speak to women of influence and leadership. I'm here with Crystal Lim Lang, who's a leadership and talent development expert, writer and educator and has been recognized as a LinkedIn top voice. We're talking about her book, uh, bestseller, Deep Human. Very interesting insights. Why... And who should get your book? Well, the chief challenge in our book is that it's made for all humans. But really, any working professional person in the corporate world, particularly between the ages of just coming out to work in your early 20s to your mid 40s is our target audience. There are people who really want to kick ass at work. Can I say that? There There are people who really want to slay at work and, you know, really want to level up and learn all those secret, what we call super skills, which are, you know, meta skills that if you learn these five skills that we identify in the book, they apply to every context of your life, whether it's at home speaking to your spouse or whether it's at work speaking to your boss. All right. Okay. Now you're also a four stages of psychological safety certified facilitator, right? What is this whole concept of psychological safety and its impact in the workplace? To put it in very simple terms, because you and I are both Asians, right? In fact, I actually was born Malaysian. And uh, we have this concept called thick skin, right? You know, thick skin people are people who are very bold and they don't mind taking risks and stepping out of their comfort zone. If something, you know, they don't agree with at work during a meeting, they'll put up their hand and they'll say, hey, actually, I don't think this is right. So this is kind of colloquial way of describing people with what we call high psychological safety. So psychological safety is a phenomenon whereby people feel that it is safe and it is okay. And in fact, it's even welcome for me to take risks at work. 
for example, some risks that you can take at work are taking the risk to disagree with your boss, taking the risk to speak up, taking the risk to share something personal about your life, taking the risk to give feedback to somebody and to learn and to grow, put your hand up for a stretch assignment, essentially being bold and thick skin. Right. But the problem is that a lot of people do not feel safe enough to do this. They feel like, oh no, I will get punished or I can't do this. I don't have the self-confidence and so forth. And sometimes half the problem is the individual, their own low sense of self-esteem or so forth. They don't have the skills to do it, which is what my book helps with. But the other half of it is, of course, the environment. Yeah. If they have a boss that is very fierce, that goes people when they ask questions, if they have colleagues that gossip about them, like, wow, this crystal, uh, while always asking questions, always time only, you know, uh, then it is not a psychologically safe environment for them right. as well. So what research has shown is that across all sectors, the most high performing, the most innovative companies, whether it's in technology or healthcare, Google actually did a lot of research into this. They found out the highest performing teams were the ones with high psychological safety, where people felt it's okay for me mm. to disagree. So in other words, psychological safety is an environment where we have high intellectual friction, that means that we all have very different ideas and we are not shy about contributing very, very diverse and different ideas and opinions, but we have low social friction. Low social friction means we can all disagree at the meeting. Then afterwards, we all go out for copy together right. and we all have a good time. So high intellectual friction, low social friction is high performance in other words. Right. And it's not personal. It's not. Right. And then that's the problem. Is this something organizations recognize is this something that can be measured is this something mm -hmm. when, when organizations come to you and say okay we want to make sure that this environment is psychologically safe is there a process absolutely absolutely so there's actually four stages as you mentioned we use a diagnostic tool to measure four different stages of psychological safety just very quickly the first one is inclusion safety where people feel included and not discriminated against because of my race religion gender whatever do i feel like i'm included at work the second stage is learner safety. Is it safe for me to ask questions? Will my boss call me stupid? Can I learn? Can I grow at work? The third stage is contribution safety. Am I allowed to contribute? Or is my boss micromanaging me and say, don't touch that. No, don't do it that way. And when I contribute, do people take credit for my work? Yeah, is it safe for me to contribute? The last stage is actually challenger safety. Can I challenge the power, the higher ups at work? Can I challenge the status quo? So we measure each of these four stages and then we present to companies according to these four stages, which one is their best stage, which ones is their worst stage. Because every company has different challenges. Some companies have a lot of challenges at stage one. You know, people don't feel included. There are a lot of silos. There are a lot of cliques in the canteen. Nobody is talking to each other. Other people, there's no problem with inclusion, but there's a problem with challenger safety stage four because the boss is very strong and charismatic. Nobody dares to challenge the boss. So in this case, the leader has to realise that there is an issue or even not an issue, but to make sure that the work environment is a psychologically safe place. Yeah, I know you spoke earlier on about goals and, and all that, right? You did a talk on transforming how young people learn, right? Mm -hmm. And you touched a little bit on schools and parents and all that. Now, is there something that needs to fundamentally change? It's across Asia where your child is measured on how many A's they get, mm -hmm. right? Is there something that needs to change in that? aspect of education? Yeah, I think this is a very complex issue because it's not just educators, it's also parents. Mm. It's not just the system in education, it's also the teachers. So there's really like the parents' mindset 
the mindset of the teachers. Many teachers are quite, you know, set in their ways and they need to change their own mindset as well. And then it's actually the system, the rubrics, the assessment, the measurements that we use. I think generally our educators already understand this concept of a growth mindset, which is being able to understand that effort and process is as important, if not more important than just results itself. But I think in general, we also need to teach less. What do I mean by teach less? I mean like we really don't have much spaciousness in a young child's routine or um, life. And we keep on filling up with more things. So instead of taking things away, education system is like, okay, now we're going to teach additional growth mindset module. Okay, now we're going to teach additional resilience module. Now we're going to teach, like, you know, everybody will tell you, like, you cannot absorb. You need time, you know, you need more space for people to actually process all these concepts. And also space is important for developing what I call the VUCA-ready ability. So we are dealing with a future which is very unstructured, very volatile, ambiguous. So it's a future where you don't even know which way to go. Not even your boss, the MD, the CEO knows what to do. So like there's no rules, there's no model answers, right? In this absence of structure in the real world, people need to learn how to navigate the absence of instructions and the absence of all this like routine. So I think we can start from schools, from providing, from loosening up the structure so that not that we don't need structure. We definitely need structure to guide our kids, but there also needs to be a balance of unstructured projects. So when I was yeah, and play and creativity and innovation and downtime and just moving from doing to actually being, because we are not human doings, we are human beings. We need to just like time to exist and, and well, and actually see each other and connect and communicate to each other. Because I think like when people hit the workplace, actually the people who are the best leaders are the ones that really can connect and really mm. be present with other people, really form that human bond. And this is something that if you're always doing, 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 and you're perpetually busy, our youth don't actually develop the social, emotional intelligence to actually connect to others. This is my final question. And this is something I saw on LinkedIn. <laughs> when we did a commentary on IWD, International Women's Day. And you say it's tokenistic, right? I, I love, I was watching video, I loved it. So what should be done instead for women in general for the rest of the 364 days? Yeah, so it's a very complex issue. I think that we should actually listen to women, to what they want in their environments. I work with many different companies and I do find that it is different across different companies what women want. What women want in a manufacturing plant situation may be a breast pumping room. It may be a room for them to take naps. It may be more flexi work. It was very different from what females in the investment banking environment may want, for example. So I think it's important for every corporate to actually listen, actively listen their females, how they can support them with the challenges of work. I think females feel that mentorship is very important, but more than mentorship, also sponsors people who will fight for them, people who will advocate for them at the workplace. I personally believe that it's not super helpful to focus too much on like woman leadership. Women leaders are like this, women leaders are that. Because I, as a female leader, sometimes don't relate 
to some of these kind of stereotypical so-called woman leader qualities, I am very direct. I'm very assertive. I'm like a lot of this. And I feel like when we overemphasize the stereotypes that, oh, you know, we're doing this pink themed workshop on like how women can, you know, I don't know, learn how to balance work and life or whatever, you know, it may not necessarily be their challenge. I think if we kind of open up this sort of gender divide into really trying to make a more inclusive environment for everyone, all races, all ages, all genders, and just making inclusivity a value and a norm that solves the female issue without making it out as if, wow, women's so poor thing, you know? Like, you know, we always have the special needs women and we always got to like give them all these special things because they are so poor and weak and we can't, you know, I, I kind of don't think that helps the situation either. All right. Well, thank you. There's so much I want to talk to you about, uh, but thank you for your time. And of course, people can find your book, Deep Human, do a, a search and they will be able to get it from or any yeah. particular place you want them to get. Can, it. can I also say that you can also go to my website, deep-human.com. And we are running a number of virtual events as well, workshops. So I hope that our Malaysian friends can join us as well. All right. Thank you so much, Crystal Lim Lang. And you've been listening to Her Vantage. I'm Frida New, BFM 89.9. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.